Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It all started in 1994 when management consultant Charlie Bigham quit his job as a management consultant, bought a camper van with his wife and decided to travel to India. There he was captivated by the tastes, colours, textures and aromas of the cuisine and it inspired him to set up a food business. By 1996 he'd done just that. He went knocking on doors and managed to find some upmarket London food shops willing to stock some of the dishes he was perfecting in his home. Fast forward 25 years and Charlie Biggums is now stocked in Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Tesco's, you name it. Charlie Biggum, welcome to your Sherlock's success story. Due to lockdown restrictions, we are recording this podcast remotely, so if the sound quality is not tip-top, then do please bear with us. I have to start today by saying that my son's favourite tea, if he can choose what he's going to have for supper, as a treat, or, you know, any day of the week, he will choose a Charlie Biggums lasagna. He is your biggest fan. Well, what a very sophisticated <laughs> son you have. What excellent taste he has. May I excellent. commend him? <laughs> <laughs> You launched, God, 25 years ago. I can't believe it was that long ago. And I know. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> time flies when you're bloody busy launching and running a business. <laughs> was there a career before that? And have you always worked in the food business? How did you get into food and how did the business come about? So before I started, I used to advise people how to build art galleries, museums and theatres. Was that your first career? Yes, I was officially a management consultant and then I kind okay. of specialised in this little niche in cultural, in the cultural sector. Were you into food at that point? I've always loved food. I've probably been cooking since I was about 13 or 14. Really? And I love cooking, you know, buying ingredients, wandering around markets, prepping, cooking, eating. It's all wonderful. And where did that come from? Was that home? Was that your mother? Yeah, my mum was a good cook. And so probably learnt a bit from her. And then, you know, I just sort of kept going. And was it a hobby? Was it something you were doing on the side? So when you were management consulting, were you always the guy that was hosting the dinner party because he'd love to cook and entertain. And even before that, when I was a student, yeah, I've always, always loved getting people around, cooking something and then, you know, sitting down, eating okay. it, having a few laughs, even okay. a few drinks with it. Definitely. So you're a management consultant and what happened to send you down this path? I had a very interesting job, but I knew it wasn't something I wanted to do forever. So the best thing to do at that point is to give up your interesting job which I did. And my wife also had an interesting job. So she gave up hers and we bought a camper van and jumped in it. And off we went to India. And along the way, lots of amazing food. You saw fantastic markets and everything. And, and that sort of gelled with the desire to start my own business. And I thought this would be great. I love food. I want to start my own business. Let's put the two together and start a food business. And how old were you at this point? 
28, maybe, 29, that sort of thing. And you were just jacking your jobs to go and travel and see the world, not to go and find inspiration to start a business. Both, actually. You know, it was kind of like, okay, we've kind of done, you know, a few years in London now, had these nice jobs, but now we've got to decide what we're really going to do. But we might as well do that and have a nice time along the way. And you went to India because of your love of spices and culture and colour and... And the journey, you know, it wasn't about just going to India because then we'd have jumped on a plane. It was just about winding slowly through Europe and the Middle East and ending up in India and then coming back. So we were away for about nine months. And so you drove there in this camper van? Yeah. God, amazing. So it was in India when you had the eureka moment, was it, that you were going to start a food business? The eureka moment I had as I was in one of the least salubrious bits of the world was crossing the border from... Iran into Pakistan and it was a very hot sweaty night in the middle of August and it it gets very very hot there and feeling a little bit uncomfortable because it's notoriously an area full of bandits and (laughs) bad things happen and somewhere in the middle of the night I thought okay this is it it's going to be this sort of food business when I get back and that was the sort of kernel of the idea and then it sort of grew from there. And what was the idea what was the business? And basically the idea was you know is food prepared food is sort of has a terrible name and actually justifiably so in many instances because prepared food certainly when I started the business you know 25 years ago was all about compromise and it was sort of anything that was prepared needs to be put in a microwave I don't own a microwave now I didn't then it was full of nasty ingredients it was all about I will just do something because it's convenient and actually for most places in the world there is convenient food on the street every day and it's just a bunch of fresh local ingredients tossed in a hot pan cooked for a few minutes and put on a plate and you have some delicious food and I kind of thought well maybe I could take inspiration from that and prepare some food in the UK which wasn't about microwaves and wasn't about cheap nasty ingredients but was about real food prepared with love and passion and then you know that you could really enjoy. You notoriously reject the term ready meal to describe your products So how do you describe them? Well, you know, would you want to eat a ready meal? Ready meals are all about compromise and we don't compromise as a business. We're all about delicious food. And so what we make is good, tasty food. Pre-prepared, does that work? Pre-prepared if you like, but we do a bit of the legwork. Let's not label it. It's delicious. It's ready to go. It's ready to go. It just needs an oven. Um, So you got back from India and this was you and your wife, your co-founders, the two of you. Claire was very involved. I mean, she's always been involved throughout, but particularly involved in the early days when we were in a tiny little kitchen and and she was helping make deliveries and all sorts of things. And were you the cook? Who was the cook? I am a cook, not a chef. So I love cooking, but I'm Mm -hmm. not a trained chef. The first person who joined me was a lovely chef called Spike, who was a professionally trained chef and he came in early on and okay. was, was a brilliant part of the team. So to talk about that idea to creation and how you got the business going and off the ground from coming back and going, right, I've, I've got clarity, we're going to prepare this delicious food um, without compromise. How did you put that into place? How did you start to make that happen? Did you raise money? Did you open a kitchen? Did you cook it from home? What's that story? The great mm-hmm. thing about food is it's really straightforward, you know, you buy a bunch of ingredients, you do something to them, and you know that turns them into something else, and you sell them. So it's a really straightforward business. 
And so I teamed up with a chef, Spike, as I said, rented a small kitchen, made some food. And we were at the time making, we were sort of in the ponds doing the mise en place as restaurants do to ensure that when you walk into a restaurant, you or I walk into a restaurant, you can have your delicious food on the table pretty quickly. They do the mise en place, all the preparation in the morning, and then they can just bang it in a hot pan, in a hot oven, whatever, yeah. and onto a plate pretty quickly. And so I kind of thought that was the sort of at the core of the idea was, okay, well, we'll be somewhere that does the mise en place, allowing people to cook something quickly and have it on the table quickly. So we'll kind of do all the thinking, do all the shopping, do the prepping, but you actually do the cooking yourself at the Mm -hmm. end. Nice. So you had your kitchen, you had Spike, and how did you start to sell it? How you actually turned it into a business? So there's Spike, there's you, there's your wife. Spike's making food. He's coming up with the recipes. I'm making it with him because, you know, that's what you do when you start a business. You do everything. Yeah. And so then we made a bit of food and then went knocking on doors. And so I jumped in my van and and went around, started off with delis, independent food shops, Harvey Nichols, Selfridges, Harrods, you know, nice sort of temples of delicious food in London as we were based in London. I knocked on doors and said, you know, I think this is something new. This is different. It's pretty good. Why don't you try it? And why don't you put it in your shops? And pretty quickly, we had about 20 or 30 shops in London. Who were the first shops? All of them. I mean, they all came on pretty much together. So you so, had Delis and Harvey Nichols. And pretty, pretty much nice. early on saying, yes, we'll take it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we're very lucky. I mean, London is a brilliant fantastic city and it's full of innovation including in food as we all know and these great shops are always looking for new things and willing to give things things a go and they were willing to give me a go very nice if they're good so you went back they placed their orders and is this still you and spike in the kitchen is there then a sort of panic stage of oh my god we've got orders from Harvey Nichols and Selfridges and 20 delis we've now got to fulfill it and we don't have the setup to do it I guess from my management consultant days one of the things I'd learned there was kind of how to plan a bit and you know multiple ha- what things would happen so yeah I think the secret is when you're growing, especially in the early days when you're going quite fast is you kind of just have to be one step ahead you have to be thinking well if this happens what do we need to have done next you know to say fulfill the orders so I wasn't too bad at that and I was sort of furiously planning and making sure we were recruiting people as we needed them and as we grew, sort of getting a slightly bigger kitchen and buying the equipment we needed, et cetera, et cetera, and sort of keeping things going, making sure the money was coming in as well, as we, you know, sometimes people forget to do that when they start businesses, is collect the money, which doesn't end well. So yeah, we grew pretty quickly. And then very early on, someone said to me, who knew much more about food than I did, said, you ought to go and talk to the nice people at Waitrose, because it's all very well selling food to delicatessens and stuff, but actually not many people in the UK buy their food, their mm-hmm. everyday food from delicatessens. So why don't you give them a call? So I picked up the phone and rang the switchboard and persuaded a very nice lady on the switchboard that she should put me through to somebody who was in charge of buying the type of food we were making, which was a bit tricky because we were making something that no one else was making at the time. But anyway, mm-hmm. things came together. I met someone at Waitrose and Waitrose were, you know, came in very early you know, and have been fantastic supporters of ours the whole way through. You know, that was really the first big challenge because when you're supplying a few delis and then suddenly you have to supply 60, 70 shops around the UK with quite a lot of food, that was when we really did need to make some careful plans and make sure we got it right and didn't let them down and blow it in our first few weeks. 
What was the range then? I'm interested to know those first few delis and Harvey Nichols that you went to, what were you taking them? How many products were in the range? I think we started with three recipes. And what we were doing to begin with, as I said, was, was we were just prepping stuff. So we're just doing this mise en place bit. So it was raw ingredients. It was quite complicated. We were doing what today many people would be familiar with as a meal kit. So it was like the, the Gustos and Hello Freshes okay. of this world do today. We were doing this 24 years ago where you got, you know, multiple packages of things. You might, you know, a typical one of our meals might have 15 different ingredients in and then some detailed instructions on how you had to cook three different things at once to end up with this amazing meal. I see. Um, so it was quite complicated to begin with. And actually, very quickly, we realised that was a flaw and mm-hmm. we simplified things down from 15 different components to about a couple, which was some marinated meat or fish and then a nice sauce. And then you could cook a meal in 10 minutes with just those two components and add your own veg or your own rice or noodles or whatever. You know, that's another thing you have to be kind of when you start off, you have to listen to what consumers are telling you. And consumers were telling us it was a bit complicated because I was out there every day talking to consumers, cooking up my food in shops. And they were saying it's a bit delicious, but a bit complicated. Can you Mm. make it simpler? So we spun on a sixpence and made it simpler pretty quickly. So by the time you got to Waitrose, what was the product offering? Well, one of the challenges is, because there's always a little bit of a lead time when you go into a shop like Waitrose, by the time we launched our meal kits, our complicated meal kits in Waitrose, we actually knew they weren't right because they were too complicated, (laughs) but we had committed to launching them. So we had to sort of put something on the shelf, which we were very proud of and was delicious, but we knew wasn't going to be right. So then we had to launch them. And then once we had launched them, quite quickly changed them to our slightly more focused offer. And how did you manage, as you said, suddenly things had to get quite serious when you're supplying 60, 70 waitress doors nationwide. Did that go to plan? How did you adapt for that? Well, you know, when you're 29 and you're starting a new business, you have lots of energy, which is lucky. Because we had some busy days. We had some busy days and nights and days that ran into nights that ran into days. So, yeah, it was actually a really fantastic experience, you know, and recruiting people and making tons of mistakes along the way, obviously. But the whole time we just kept focused on, okay, we can make lots and lots of mistakes. But the one thing we mustn't do is compromise on our food. Everything we make has got to be absolutely delicious. As long as we keep true to that, we'll kind of work out the rest of the stuff as we go. So you went Waitrose and and who followed? Was it a domino effect they all then wanted in? Because, I mean, you're in most most supermarkets, I believe, aren't you? For a long period of time, we quite quickly built a very close, you know, working partnership with Waitrose and actually grew very fast with them, you know, year on year for, gosh, I don't know, maybe 10 years. And we were growing at a pace that meant, you know, really we didn't have to sell hugely further afield than that. We had some other early customers who were still supply people. And there's a lovely supermarket up in the northwest called Booths. We supplied Ocado from day one. We continued to supply some delis and restaurants and everything as well throughout this period. It was probably 10 years before we started to go further afield in terms of supermarkets, uh, you know, into into Sainsbury's and Tesco and, and others. That's been a more recent thing. And talk to me about the branding. You know, it's your name. It's amazing photography. It's also got quite a sort of rustic, sort of homemade feel to it. Branding's so powerful, have you evolved a lot based on your learnings? Like, were you considering that and aware of that really early on? Well, I think 
communication is really important. And if you're selling stuff as we were, you know, from an early time, early stage of the business, selling stuff in a supermarket environment, they are busy, noisy, cluttered places where people make split-second decisions subliminally. They don't, you don't have time to read stuff. It's a hectic environment when we, when we all go off and do our, our shopping in supermarkets. So it's important to stand out. So I think I kind of knew from early on that we needed to stand out and communicate that we were different to what else was there. So we teamed up, you know, very early on with a fantastic design agency called Big Fish in London. I know, the brilliant Perry. He's a genius. We were his first food clients, actually. And Perry, I've worked with him for, for 24 years now. We're good friends. And he's great. And so, you know, we've worked together and made sure that it kind of, we're trying to get across those subliminal messages, which I think we do through a combination of our packaging. As you might know, we our food is all sold in, almost all of it sold in wooden containers. Um, yeah. Fantastic for the environment. But actually, it also helps convey that we're different and we yeah. care perhaps a bit more than others. And then we've got a lovely illustrator, Emily Sutton, who does our drawings and she's brilliant and genuine and creative and real and there's joy in her illustrations and there's joy in our food so it it works and how do you keep the quality as you grow and you you know it's all very well you pottering around to a few delis and supplying them but how as you grow and you're selling i mean lasagnas are you selling a week nationwide or a month or a year do you know that number off of your head? I have a rough idea. So, I mean, at the moment, you know, around 600,000 people every week eat our food. Wow. So, quite a few. That's a lot um, of food. Lot and the range food. is big now. Like, really yep. big, isn't it? But how are you maintaining quality? I mean, I, I know you've built the, these amazing kitchens in Somerset and you've also got kitchens in London. I think it's really it's a really interesting question, Georgie. It's a question quite a lot of people ask me. For, uh, and yeah, and there's almost a sort of cynicism around it. Say, well, because you've got bigger, you must have compromised and got worse. And we are a business which is not about compromise when it comes to yeah, you know, that's sort of in our DNA. As when it comes to is food delicious, and I kind of think when businesses grow, I sort of go off and occasionally give talks to people who asked me to and I and one of the things I talk about is actually as you grow as a business if you're fortunate enough to start a business which kind of you know hits a sweet spot with consumers or your target market and you grow you've got some choices to make and one of the choices is what to do with that growth and you can if you want you know say oh well the benefits of that growth let's put them onto the bottom line and make tons of money or you can say well actually let's just reinvest the benefits of that growth in our quality and that's what we've done so actually, I know there are many, many things. In fact, almost everything we do today is better than we did it, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, because we've chosen to take those benefits of growth and reinvest it in quality rather than, you know, take a more short-term view. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So who would you say your main competitors are? We don't have any direct competitors. I mean, most of the supermarkets have ranges of their own in making recipes which have, you know, the same, the same recipes as us. But, you know, they have a particular approach and they do a really great job. But we are complementary to that. You know, our food is made in a kitchen, not a factory. It's made by people, not operatives. We make actually a relatively small number of dishes we make, you know, in our, our range of dishes we make. I think we've got 44 different dishes we're making. Whereas if you go to a supermarket supplier, typically there'll be a big factory somewhere with thousands of people working there. And they'll be making six, seven hundred different things. So we're very obsessive about mm. our food, actually, in a nice way. You know, we really care about every single dish we produce and, and you know, always trying to make it better. Can you talk to us a little bit about the range expansion? Because you say 44 is not very many. I mean, to me, that's a hell of a lot of options. Yeah. And you do puddings and you do vegetarian and you do yeah. you do my son's favourite lasagna. You know, can you just explain that journey and how you developed it? So you started with the savoury. What came next and how did the product range evolve? As I said, we started, everything we did was was raw prepared food for you to cook, basically, from raw mm-hmm. at home and that was the first 10 years shall we say and um, that was very different to anything anyone else was doing and then you know 15 years ago or so we said actually we have more and more people kind of writing to us I mean we just listen to our consumers a lot we've got very low consumers and we have more and more people saying can you just do some some food which is a bit more prepared than you're doing that we can mm. just put in the oven so that's when we started making things like lasagnas and fish pies and steak and our pies and really what we said there is rather than try and, you know, chase a zeitgeist of, you know, Korean food or, you know, Mexican food or whatever was the fashionable thing at that moment in restaurants, we said, well, actually, no, we're not trying to be a restaurant. We're trying to produce really nice food for people, home-cooked food for people to it's have a nice meal It's quite cosy home. food, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite exactly. Food. So our first focus was on making everyday recipes, but just making them obsessively well hence our lasagna our fish pie you know we're not trying to do something that no one's ever done before in terms Mm. of the recipe but what we were trying to do and are still trying to do is make ours the very very best it can be at least as good maybe better than you could do yourself at home how much do you think your slightly higher price point has worked in your favor i mean obviously it's more profitable but you're investing in quality you need to your business you've got to make money but do you think that's also helped you get that kind of recognition that, yeah, you're paying a bit more because it's better ingredients? Is that, do you think, been key? I've certainly never looked at it in that way. We just work out what it costs to make us, you know. So our prices are not like, what can we get away with charging? Our prices are, how much does it cost to make this recipe? And then there has to be a bit added on to that for us to pay for the other bits, pay for, for the building business. and pay the electricity yeah. bills and yeah. all of that. And then we say, actually, you know, if we want to still be around in a few years' time, we need to make a bit of profit so we can reinvest that in the business. So it costs a bit more to make better food. Yes, which I totally get. I guess just I, as a consumer, feel like if I'm going to buy my son a pre-prepared 
something in the supermarket i kind of feel like because you're a bit more expensive it's a bit better i feel a bit less guilty about it you know so well i'm delighted you do to me as a customer (laughs) there's a certain comfort in that if i'm not going to make it myself at home i feel like i'm paying a bit more because it's better made it's perhaps a happy accident i'm not a marketeer i'm just someone who likes you know i don't know what i am but i'm lots of things but i'm not a marketeer I have heard people say it's quite useful being a bit more expensive than other Mm. people because it signposts you to be a bit better. I think that's fine as long as you are a bit better. As consumers, we're all very sophisticated people. Oh, yeah, you can't just whack the prices up and and, put out shit. Yeah, exactly. You get found out very quickly. You've got to live up to your price point. But if you can, then brilliant. Talk to me about... The growth of veganism and meat-free trends of late, have they impacted you as a business? Have you responded to them? Yeah, you know, we in fact try hard not to follow the zeitgeist and the fashions. However, we are very responsive to what we hear from consumers and see what's happening in the world. And it's just, you know, we've got to be careful not to exist in a London bubble and think, you know, there are a few people in London, who've, a few more people who've become vegans and therefore the whole world is going to suddenly go vegan. What is great, though, is I think kind of there are more vegans. And, and in a way, I think one of the greatest services that vegans have done to us is actually make sort of vegetarian food more mainstream. So we've responded to that, I think, quite well. We were making three years ago one vegetarian recipe, and now we're making eight, which is about 20% of our overall range that we make. I'm excluding our puddings from that. And that's really great. And I think you, you know, have delicious, fantastic vegetarian food. I think it's great for the planet if we all eat a bit less meat. So we want to give people that choice. And our vegetarian dishes, you know, are very much on, of the flexitarian bent. They're yeah. designed for not people who are just vegetarians, but also for people who eat meat, but maybe just want to eat a bit less. But you mentioned puddings. You've recently yes. launched five puddings. Yeah, uh, that was correct. Talk to us about those. What are they? And... How's it going? So we've got pretty classic flavours because I think that's how we go about things. We say, let's take, rather as we did with lasagna fish pie, let's take the classic dishes that we know people want to buy and then just see how good we can make them. So we've got a sticky toffee pudding, a sticky ginger pudding, a chocolate fondant, a cherry bakewell and a bread and butter pudding. And they're all delicious and they are selling very, very well. So good. Yeah. So good. Is that the best seller or sticky toffee? They're the two I've had. Do you know, I'm actually really delighted to say that the best seller is the cherry bakewell. Is it? And and that's quite interesting, but I think it's a really, really, really good recipe. It's my favourite out of the range of five. And I'm Does it have almond in it? It does have almond in it. Do you not like almonds? I do like almond in a cherry bakewell, but I've never had yours. How interesting. I would have bet my house on it that you were not going to say the cherry bake hole was the best seller. Fascinating. Well, it's early days. It's early days, though. So we will, that may change. That may change. <laughs> and on the subject of best sellers, what else are your best sellers? So you got your fish pie, you got your lasagna. Chicken tikka. Chicken tikka, yes. You know, they're not terribly surprising, the bestsellers. They're what, you know, what people want to buy and want to eat. So you've launched puddings, that's going well. Talk to me a bit about the marketing. You said you're not a marketeer, but clearly that's something as a business you've had to employ people to do for you. Everyone says getting to supermarkets is so hard. It's not enough, is it, just to get into a supermarket. Alongside that, you've got to be marketing. What has that looked like as a journey? Because you don't well, do a lot of advertising, don't you? I mean, we do actually. No, we do a small amount of advertising. We're doing a little uh, bit more each year, which is good. 
But I mean, you know, from day one and continues to be the case today, our, our best marketing is word of mouth recommendation. And, you know, our marketing effort and thought goes into how do we make the recipes we make every day better? So you know, on almost every recipe we make at the moment, we have a project saying, how do we make this recipe better than it is today? And once we've made it better than it is today, then we'll start another project saying, how do we make the better recipe better than it is today? That to me is actually problem marketing because there we're, we're listening to our consumers and we know, and they very kindly, we have about 200 people who write to us every week and tell us if we get something wrong, which is very useful. And also if we get something right, and they tell us that they've recommended it to their friends, family, other people. That's marketing to me. It's actually yeah. just getting the word out there. And, you know, the advertising and stuff, that's just a way of trying to accelerate that, mm -hmm. which is nice if you can do it. And it's sometimes nice on our customers, you know, in the terms of the supermarkets like it if we do that. But supermarkets are, you know, are very responsive. And if consumers want something, if consumers are buying something, then, you know, supermarkets want to have it on their shelves. And mm. if people continue buying it, then it will stay on the shelves. And actually, that's the harder bit, I think. When I talk to people who are starting food businesses, they're sort of getting into a supermarket, which is, isn't easy. It's yeah. harder today than it was when I started but it's harder still to stay there. Stay there and get a good position. And unless there's some marketing going on, you know, you're going to be in a crappy shelf when no one's going to see you. And there's got to be something else going on behind the scenes, really, right? Well, I don't know. I think if something is really great, people just hear about it. You know, that mm. happens with books. You can have books mm. which are written by somebody who's never written a book before. Yeah. And it becomes a bestseller because a small number of people read it and say, mm. this is amazing, you must read it. And word gets out and it sort of builds. And I think that happens with everything, including food. And today you have a PR agency. You know, In terms of marketing and PR, have there been other key moments in the journey of the business when you can say, we did this really great marketing thing and that, that would be kind of interesting for people to hear about or good advice Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think we've just tried to have a bit of fun and, you know, be not too serious about things. And, yeah, there have been a few stories that we've sort of put out there, which have sometimes gained a bit of traction. You know, silly things about making the world's most expensive fish pie or making special things for Valentine's Day. You know, just kind of things that journalists like to write about and people yeah. like to read about. So that's quite fun. And, yeah, and we continue to think, you know, how we can best communicate with people whether it's through adverts in you know sunday newspapers or on tube platforms or wherever it might be we'll continue to experiment and product launch wise so you've gone into puddings what's the yeah. next category i don't know we haven't got any big plans to go into other categories but that's a quite a big deal for us going into puddings you know that's going out of our sort of core territory it has gone pretty well so we might have a few more puddings in the pipeline we think great um, and then you know we'll keep sort of making our other recipes better and maybe even a few other new recipes i think including perhaps more vegetarian stuff because i think there is a there's yeah. a bit of momentum gathering behind the you know sort of vegetarianism if you're allowed to yeah. call it that or flexitarianism perhaps yeah. best more, more accurately and i think it would be great if that continues and veganism where are you on that so veganism, I'm a little bit sceptical about veganism. I don't um, hide that from my team. And, and I'm sceptical for two reasons. First and foremost, because I haven't yet tasted a vegan recipe that would be better 
by being a vegetarian rather than vegan. And we're all about taste. And the other thing, you know, not just me, but our t- as a team, we're very focused on is we like our food to be sort of as natural as it possibly can be in terms of using really high quality ingredients. And I think the problem with veganism, I really don't like kind of fake meat. I have an inherent mistrust of anything that is super processed. And a lot of the very clever stuff that is happening with meat is super, super, super processed. I think it will all unravel one day because you shouldn't Mm. do that to food. We've got to touch on coronavirus and what that's meant for your business, how you've protected the business. I mean, we're all at home more, eating out less. Have you seen an uplift? And has that been possible to fulfil because of factories and staff and lockdown, etc.? It's been a really challenging few months. I mean, I think for every single business in the UK, all of us as individuals, we're at the very fortunate end of things. You know, I mean, half the food sector has effectively had to close down, you know, with almost no notice. I mean, I feel so sorry for people who've built up amazing businesses who've had because of what has happened. We're fortunate. You know, we've been open every day. Your kitchens have. Yeah, but it's been difficult because there's been huge uncertainty and anxiety, understandably, amongst our team. So there's been a lot of reassurance. We've had a lot of uncertainty about whether our suppliers will be able to stay open and keep supplying us. And some of them have struggled. And so we've supported them where we've needed to. Um, yes, because of you know, course, it's, it's been, not, it's it's not really just difficult. can you get the food to supermarkets, it's can you yeah. get all the ingredients you need to make the food? Yeah, of course, of course. So the team have been working incredibly hard and I think have done an amazing job to keep us open and producing food. And we have been selling a bit more food than normal. have been huge, Good. you know, huge orders going up, orders going down. You know, it's been very unpredictable. So, so everyone's had to work really hard just to try to anticipate what might happen next but ultimately you've been selling a bit more food and that's great and i'm thrilled to hear businesses who are booming in these difficult difficult times what does the future look like for charlie biggums what's the plan you're going to sell it no that was a decision i made a long time ago i think that there's a sort of weird british disease we have (laughs) which is if you start a business everyone asks you straight away almost people started asking me after about a year when you're going to sell it and it's like, why would you want to do that? You know, if you're doing something you, you love and believe in, why would you want to sell it? That seems just peculiar. And we've only just started. We're still pretty small in food industry terms. We know there are lots of people who haven't eaten our food who'd love to try it and enjoy it and buy it again and again. So we've got lots of potential to grow. And all we want to do as a business is get a little bit better every day, every week, every month, every year. And if we manage to continue doing that, then, you know, one day we might be a great business. That would be what I'd like to be is to be a great business doing Mm. great things, you know, right across the piece, not just the food we make, but everything that goes with, you know, what a business does, which is having an amazing team and creating sort of long-term opportunities for that team, being rooted in our community, doing the right thing for the planet. You know, it's one of the exciting things Mm. about having it. A business and a particular business that's growing is you can you know it's just it's endless endlessly mm. fascinating and there's mm. always more to do they've got to be crisps there have got to be charlie biggins crisps there'd be some delicious flavors tell me that that's on mm. the agenda one day it's not on the agenda <laughs> oh, maybe one day before we finish can you just tell us about your day in food are you a cook what are you eating whet our appetite as a man that knows food and works in food. Or do you even care because it's what you do all day and, and no, frankly you'd rather have a I bottle care. of cereal? 
no, no, absolutely not. Every day, every day is different for me. I'm so lucky. I spend lots of time at work in our production kitchens talking to the guys who are making the food day in, day out and, you know, poking my nose into things to check that things are being done right or looking at ways that they could be done even better. I spend a lot of time with our chefs eating food, testing new ideas about how to improve things or new recipes. So that's all great. And and then when I've spent all day doing that at work, I then come home and I love cooking food. And for me, a complete pleasure is to look in the fridge and just see what there is and then sort of invent something. I'm not a recipe book cook. I like to make things up as I go. I don't really, I quite like cooking different things the whole time. I've appointed myself in these lockdown times as food waste czar in our house to make sure (laughs) no food goes in the bin. Uh, and that's a nice challenge because you kind of look and you say, okay, well, we've got to eat that tonight because if if not, it, there's a chance it might be thrown away. We don't throw any food away. But uh, no, generally, it's good fun. I love cooking from scratch and being a bit inventive. I'm thrilled to hear that. I'd be very disappointed if you had answered in any other way. Charlie, <laughs> how lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think um, it's made me feel I need to go and restock my freezer with some lasagna and fish pie and you know delicious puddings that's it for today if you enjoyed that then do please rate review subscribe and tell your friends we will be back soon bye-bye hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com